0: I'm going to invite you to turn to Psalm 23. Verse 6 is in view this morning, but uh, let's just read all six verses. This is the last week we're covering Psalm 23. I hope it's invaluable for you. I've enjoyed it tremendously as we've gone through this together. Um, as you're finding that, we're going to read about God's goodness. Sherry, thank you for setting us up for this so nicely. And uh, I think it's easy when we uh, are separated between being home and being in the room and we've got people all over the place. Um, It can end up being a spectator sport. So let's just, since we're talking about God's goodness, if you're at home, if you're in the room, God is good all the time. time. Let's try it again. At home, I want to hear you. God is good all the time. time. Let's talk about that today, shall we? You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We already proclaimed it. God is good, God is love, and guess what? God wants you to come home. That's what David is telling us in these final verses. We've talked about the idea over the past few weeks that uh, the shepherd offers his care if we live under his authority. Verse 6, as we've looked through the whole passage, all six verses here, is sort of the, the ribbon around and the bow on top of the gift that is Psalm 23. It wraps it up very nicely if we're paying attention. David started with, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, and if we forget that, then the rest of it falls off. We, we, don't, we can't get any of it, but if we remember that, then by the time we get to the end, we say yes. We can proclaim those first verses as a genuine promise that we can live into by the power of God working in us. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing is where we started, but if I can just point out, in our part of the world, we often believe and deceive ourselves into thinking that we lack. We really do. Um, this week, uh, these aren't the shoes I'm gonna talk about, but I, the shoes I wear every day are clearly falling apart. My wife pointed that out to me this week. I tend to wear my clothes until they completely wear out because I wanna get the maximum use out of them. Um, I'm very frugal that way, and they're super comfortable shoes. And so I'd like to wear them, but they are clearly and obviously falling apart. My wife said, please stop wearing your shoes until they fall apart like that. Can you get some more? The next morning, she reminded me, I know there are some sales, told me where the sales were. Will you buy some shoes today? I got to work, the office here, and there was an email that simply said, buy shoes from my wife. I have other shoes, right? I don't lack shoes. Sure, I'm going to buy some new shoes. I will. I, th- those are, they're really comfortable, so I'm probably going to get the exact same pair is what I'm going to do because they're super comfortable. But I don't lack. In fact, for the most part, most of us don't lack in our part of the world. And there are people that do lack. I talk to them on the phone. They come into the office. The uh, people work with them around the city to help them not lack stuff. But that's actually not what's in mind here. When David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. There's something else in mind here that he's talking about. You see, the shepherd offers his care if we live under his authority, and the more we dig into that, and the more we've looked at that, the more we recognize that there's something deeper at play there that the shepherd offers us. But the interesting thing today that that I think even works uh, more in favor of the idea that God provides what we need, our shepherd provides what we need, is that, and Sherry brought out the word very well, that My shepherd pursues me. My shepherd pursues me so that I would experience his goodness and love. His full character in all its fullness. You see, and and the quality of that pursuit is, is around those words goodness and love that we see in the text. Those are qualities, character attributes of God. That we don't say God is like goodness and God is like love. God is love. God is Good. In fact, the idea of God being good can be broken out quite simply when you, when you tease out what that means. That means God is holy and God is love. And if we want to know what goodness is, we go back to God. God isn't just a component of goodness. God is goodness. That's the measure by which we measure anything that is good. If we want to know what love is, we measure it by God. That's how we know what love is. And so we start with that word. The word in the text for good or goodness is tov. That's the Hebrew word there. I would normally not worry about bringing that out in a message, except, and Sherry already went to the, cut to the chase on that one. If you go back to the very beginning, you encounter that word. It's all throughout the Old Testament. It's a common word. Good. Tov. T-O-V, if you translate it in English. But if you go back to the beginning, it says, "...in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters." And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was Tov. And all throughout the text, God created and he said, it's Tov. It reflects my character. It reflects my glory. It reflects my goodness. It was Tov. If we get to verse 31, as we heard this morning, it says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very Tov. And there was morning, evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. God is tov, what God created is tov, even very tov, good. There's a reflection of God in what he has created. It points back to the creator itself. God is good. Surely his goodness will follow me, who he is in his fullness. Surely his goodness in love. Now the Hebrew word here, hesed, it's uh, God's unfailing covenant. Love. There's a lot of qualities to this love that make it deep. It's also throughout uh, the Old Testament, all throughout. In fact, some of your translations might have loving kindness uh, in that passage, which gets at the quality of love that we're talking about. It's God's unfailing covenant love. We can see a great example of this in Isaiah 54.10. Uh, that'll come up on the screen here, which says, "...though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken." nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. God's covenant, his promise with Israel, much like a covenant of marriage, which is a two-way promise between two parties with an end in mind to walk together um, and create something new out of that marriage, God has done the same thing with Israel in the Old Testament. He created a covenant with them, so that promise And and part of that promise is that Israel is going to be the vehicle by which God is going to reveal who He is to the world through this people. I covenant, my unfailing love will be with you in that endeavor as we walk forward. And through you, Israel, my salvation will come for the entire world. That's the covenant promise God made. And the the love within that covenant promise is, I'm going to walk with you unfailingly, faithfully through all of that. But one of the key qualities... Uh, of this, of uh, this chesed love, is the idea of deliverance. That's that loving kindness or mercy. Sometimes you'll see this word gets translated uh, in other parts of the Old Testament, that there's deliverance or a benevolent kind of love that, that is clearly a superior or somebody who can rescue to somebody who needs rescue, but it's specifically given to somebody with whom there's a relationship. And that's the interesting qualifying feature of this, that when we have a relationship with the shepherd then, his love like that pursues us unfailingly in the fullness of his character and his goodness, if we live under his authority. Now, a good way to think about this, if we're willing to accept the, the deliverance or the salvation that God provides for us, um, is, is this— the, when I was a little, a little under 20 years ago, working at Covenant Bible College in Colorado, I had finished my first year, uh, kind of as a pastor in the dorm, basically. And I had driven around a bunch of students around the country uh, at the end of the year to do kind of a promotional tour uh, for a couple weeks. We went out to the East Coast, and I came back and dropped everybody off at the airport, and me and a couple others just did the last 500-mile leg, drove back, and then I had one more night that I was going to be at on the campus there in northern Colorado before I was going on to the next job for the summer but there were already people living in the dorms because there was a guest group that was using the whole place so I didn't have a bed that night when I came back all my stuff was in my car remember those days when you could move in just a car it wasn't that remarkable all my stuff was in the car and I happened to have a tent I didn't have a key even to the building anymore because I had to turn that in for the summer or I did anyways and so all I had was the grounds around me I could have gone to a hotel I could have afforded that. That was no big deal. But I was like, you know what? I have a tent in my car, and I have a yard right here in northern Colorado in the back of this small town where nobody is. I'm just going to sleep in the yard tonight. And it was wonderful. It was delightful until the sprinklers came on at about 5 in the morning. (laughs) But it's not the sprinklers that are the point of the story here. I still had some use of the grounds, but I was locked out of the true care and comfort of the building. And so we can enjoy some of the basic care that God has for this creation by not living under the authority of the shepherd and by not taking the deliverance God is giving us, but we're essentially locking ourselves out of the full promise that God has for us, and we're going to lock ourselves out for eternity if we don't take up God on that offer. We'll enjoy some of that comfort for now, but eventually the sprinkles will come on and we'll be locked out. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. He's offering us all that he has and the deliverance that he has to give us, to rescue us from the predicament that we're in from sin. You see, the shepherd offers us his care if we live under his authority. And that authority is, is demonstrated in a most pronounced way, and that salvation is delivered and enacted through Jesus Christ, who gives us a promise very much like this. This psalm is pointing towards that day of the good shepherd, The good shepherd comes and he gives his life for his sheep. And then he comes back from the dead to completely defeat death. And then he says to anybody who follows him, he starts with his disciples in that time. But anybody who follows him, he says, now go into the world, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach what I've taught. And I am with you always. That's chesed. That's his loving kindness. I'm with you always. I'm going to deliver you and I walk with you. We're together in this if we live under his authority. That's redemptive. That's rescuing us through his love. And you see that even in that redemptive language is even there in the psalm itself. Surely goodness and love will do what? Follow me. Pursue me. And really that word pursue more strongly gets at the notion of what's going on there. It's the word that's there is usually throughout the Old Testament used in a negative sense. A pursuit with malicious intent. A pursuit with the intent to do harm to the one being pursued. You can find it all throughout the Old Testament. Lamentations five five is a good example. It says, those who pursue us are at our heels. We are weary and find no rest. Right? That's the kind of pursuit that was, that's normally associated with that word. And we, we experience that kind of pursuit in a world of sin from everything that would try and pull us away from the presence of God, from the very presence of sin in our lives and the very presence of sin in the world around us. It kind of beats at us to beat out the idea of that goodness and love that's pursuing us, to turn it on its head and saying, that's not for you. But the good shepherd comes and turns that on its head. Isn't that remarkable? This word pursue is used... In the opposite way it's normally used. Surely all that is good, all that is loving, is pursuing you. The one who is good, the one who delivers you with his love. He's pursuing you not for the destruction, but for your redemption and salvation. It turns that idea on its head. The idea of redemption is there. Now this week uh, I was driving around with two out of three kids in the car at the time. And our youngest was trying to, he was trying to make a joke with a punchline. Couldn't tell you what that was because I don't remember how the conversation ended. But so he was asking as we were driving, he said, what direction does a map point? And he was going to do something with that creative. Um, What direction does a map point? So we were discussing, you know, that a a map points north typically. That's the the orientation of our maps Um, or a compass points north. If you talk to somebody from the southern hemisphere, they might contest what the default direction should be. They'll, they'll turn their maps sometimes to the south. You can have that conversation later. But what's the default direction in the Old Testament? You know, we think of it as north. The default direction in the Old Testament, when they thought of something like what would be akin to a map for them, was east. East was Eden. East was back home with God in His fullness in his presence and it's interesting if the if the lord is my shepherd who pursues me the question we should ask is where is he leading me of course the text answers that question to a degree but where is he leading me and i would put it in the terms that my shepherd pursues me why to lead me home and by that i mean to lead me back to god's presence The words, I will dwell, in this text, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, There's some scholarly kind of uh, split decision on if that's I will dwell or if the concept is I will return. There seems to be a stronger pull to The idea is to return back. I will dwell makes sense, but but you're returning to the place where you will dwell. Returning to the house of the Lord. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried this in Lincoln. Um, I've lived in a number of places, so I've tried this every place I've lived uh, you know, if I go get a haircut, ask where are you from, that kind of thing. If you try it in Lincoln, it's interesting to, to ask this, where are you from? Now, a lot of people in Lincoln either are from Lincoln, I've discovered, or they're from a small town and they moved to Lincoln. So it's not a complicated question to answer for the most part. But if, you, if you've moved a number of different places, sometimes it's hard to know where you're from, especially if you travel somewhere else. Uh, if you uh, have um, recently transitioned to somewhere, Where you're like only a year in, if somebody asks you where you're from, it's hard to answer that question sometimes. But can I tell you that even if it's easy or hard for us to answer, I think sometimes we've forgotten where we're truly from. We really truly come from the Lord who created us in His image. And the world of sin kind of beats us into submission, thinking that we're actually separated from Him and that's the way it's supposed to be, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be at home with the Lord what he intended in Eden. Now, there was growth that was supposed to happen in Eden. That's not the end result, but we're supposed to be with the Lord, close to God. When I was a hospital chaplain, uh, I remember very vividly uh, the interaction face of this one particular patient I worked with who it it almost seemed like the the situation was manufactured for loneliness. It wasn't intentional. It was like he kind of ended up in the darkest corner of the darkest part of the hospital, and he kept the lights off too, And uh, I got to see him a couple days in a row, which was rare uh, in in the role I had as a chaplain there. And I remember uh, he talked about how he had one connection. It was his girlfriend, but she never materialized and didn't really call him. And he was just alone in the dark room in a hospital in pain and afraid. And we, we had some good conversations talking and kind of counseling through that. We're not designed for that. God didn't create us to be alone like that. God didn't create us to be alone when it comes to community, and God definitely didn't create us to be out of his presence. Yet we fool ourselves into thinking that being out of his presence uh, is a normal state of affairs when it's not. David's calling all those who follow the shepherd to return home to the presence of the Lord. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, sin separates us from God's presence, but the good shepherd, he restores that relationship. Sin separates us. When God, though, restores, God puts us back into his presence. You can see this very vividly in the Old Testament, that when God restores, when God rescues his people after the exodus, they cross the Red Sea. You see the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night as his presence is there with them guiding. When he calls them to make the tabernacle, his presence, his Shekinah glory, is going to dwell in the Holy of Holies. They're going to orient their camp around the tabernacle that they'd be in the presence of god at all times and his presence would be right there in camp in a visible way in the holy of holies in fact you can see uh terry can you throw up that image the tabernacle this tent that they would have you can see within that that you can in the outer area people could have come into that area to bring sacrifice but as you get closer to that tent Fewer people can get there. The priest can get there. And then finally, when you get to the Holy of Holies, only the, holy, only the high priest can get there and only once a year. There's limited access to the presence of God, but everything's oriented around the presence of God and proximity to God. That Shekinah glory is in the center. But when Jesus comes to finally bring that full redemption, he comes as a sacrificial lamb to take away the sin of the world and restore goodness and love in this world the holy of holies that veil was ripped open so god's shekinah glory could emerge and we could be with god in that salvation that jesus brought surely your goodness and love follows me it pursues me like that so we can stand in his glory psalm 23 rests on the claim that we would claim the lord is my shepherd It has to start there. If we don't claim that, the rest of this just falls apart. That we would yield our heart to the good shepherd for his deliverance and his rescue, to be in his presence and his glory. That's why the shepherd wants to lead us home in the end. The shepherd wants to lead us home because the Lord being my shepherd, what does he do for us? He makes us lie down in abundance. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads us to the place where we can actually dwell in God's presence by those quiet waters. The Lord, as my shepherd, walks with us in those darkest times, even though it seems like darkness might win. The Lord's presence is with us in those dark moments. The Lord is my shepherd. He walks with us and trains us in his way, And fights back our foes so that we're not overtaken and comforts us. He shows us hospitality while he shows victory over our enemies at the same time in his luxurious presence. And he leads us home to live in his glory. That's what he's saving us to. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Do you know the only time that we actually truly lack is when we're outside of the presence of God. We're lacking the presence of God. We're lacking God's glory, His presence in our lives. We're not designed to be separated from God's presence. But we fool ourselves into thinking that we are and can be. Now, God's promise is to shepherd our soul, to pursue us where sin seeks to harm, to restore His goodness because of His love. You see, God is good, God is love, and God wants us to come home. What He calls out of us is to yield, to make the Lord my shepherd. So make the Lord your shepherd, if you haven't already today. Let's pray. Lord, may we yield our heart, because there are many times when we fool ourselves into thinking we can do it on our own. We do things for our own glory, for our own benefit. We take the comfort that you offer us in this world and assume that that's enough when you actually offer us your full salvation and redemption, your full goodness and and love. And yet we think we're content to be on our own, separated from you, in too many spheres of our lives. There's no part of our life that's supposed to be out of review. So Lord, where we've hidden those places, where we've tried to set our tent far away from your Shekinah glory, so that your light doesn't shine on us or that part of our lives, Lord, let us yield those parts where we sit with a hard heart and haven't yielded any of ourselves to you, Lord, call us home. Call us home that we would make you our shepherd, that your good shepherd would, in fact, give us redemption and restoration. Our soul would be restored so that we're human again and we come home to you. pray this, Lord, in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. As our response here at the end, we are going to sing together. Um, So I'm going to invite you to stand and we'll sing A Mighty Fortress is Our God.